Hello, and welcome to the Baba Yaga Project. The Baba Yaga Project is a podcast and blog that focuses on the ritualized year, folklore, and history, lovingly researched and recorded by your hosts, Margot and Sonia. Hi, my name is Margot, and I have a master's degree in American history with a focus on Indigenous studies. And I'm Sonia, and I'm doing a PhD in medieval history. Hello, and welcome to the Baba Yaga Project. This week, it's just me here, Sonia. Margot is out for the day, but that's a-okay. It's also going to be her birthday the day this comes out, so please wish her a happy birthday in the comments or on Twitter or Instagram. This week, we are kicking off the sort of next phase of this season. So we've talked a lot about uh, fertility and children and birth and that sort of thing recently, and now we're talking about, you know, what adult life looked like in terms of labor and work. So this week we're going to start it out by talking about the countryside and what rural life looked like, mostly for serfs and peasants. So how did it go for them working? Uh, In the coming weeks we're going to be talking about craftsmen and guilds, we're going to be talking about the ways that people would make a living in towns, uh, people going into the professions, people working in assorted illegal jobs. So buckle up, we're going to be switching gears somewhat to talk about what your adult life could look like in the past and what type of work you would be doing. So today I'm going to get us started out with talking about working in the countryside in the Middle Ages, and this was remained quite quite uh, the same into the early modern period as well. So all of us for these last 18 months that somehow feel like 40 years have probably gotten quite familiar with the concept of working from home. However, in the Middle Ages and the early modern period, if you were in the countryside, You were also basically always working from home because the place of production, of economic work, was the home and the outlying fields that accompanied that. So for the most part, you weren't going somewhere to work. You were, you know, working within your house or just outside in the fields quite close. So... Pre-industrial revolution, we have about 85% of all people would have been engaged in agricultural work to some capacity. This work was heavily, heavily gendered. By and large, there were, of course, exceptions. For example, when it was harvest time, it was it was all hands on deck for harvest, right? Like you don't want your all the food to rot in the fields. So men, women, children who were old enough to be helpful, everyone would go out and help with that. However, by and large, the work that was done was split between men who were typically doing the work that occurred outdoors and sort of outside of the immediate home and village. So more so field work and working with animals, Whereas women's work tended to be centered around the home, the kind of little plot of land that you would have directly adjacent to your home, and the village more broadly. 
So I'm going to start us off talking about men's work and men's agricultural work, and then switch over to basically talk about the role of women in the village and what they were doing in terms of economic um, productivity, essentially. So to start out with, we can talk about the labors of the month. So these are calendars that date to the Middle Ages, and this would have remained relatively stable, where they depict each month by what people are doing for that month in terms of their work. Because again, this is an agricultural society. The work that you're doing is going to change with each month, roughly, because the seasons are changing in the weather and climate, and you know you need to do certain things at certain times of the year. So January normally just has people feasting in the calendar because January, you know, it's cold. The holiday season is still going on at this point for most people. And you're mostly just kind of hanging out, having a good time. February, however, is when you really start to see more work being done. So often this was again mostly going to be men's work, which was digging, pruning, and especially plowing. Plowing was essentially always done by men, um, mostly because, at least the reasoning seems to be, men have typically more muscle distribution in their shoulders and arms and just kind of upper body strength in general as compared to women who tend to carry more muscle through um, the legs and hip area. So essentially what happens is you see that people in societies that are using like hoes, it's often women who are tilling the ground with that. But once you start seeing the big switch over to plows, it becomes men's work because you need that greater amount of upper body strength to man this large object that is being pulled by teams of oxen and later horses. Um, it's essentially just something that, and and even then it wouldn't be all the men in the village who are doing this. Like it would be the, the name for this task was the plowman. And, you know, typically this was going to be a guy who was like barrel chested, big shoulders, big arms, who can maneuver the plow behind this team of, you know, six to eight oxen, basically. And for the most part, um, throughout most of Europe, you can actually start plowing in February because at that point, temperatures are beginning to rise. So for those of us in North America, especially in, you know, the more northerly regions, like where me and Margot live, uh, yeah, February is still in deep freeze. So there's sometimes some confusion about why people are plowing in February. And that is because in, in Europe at this point, especially because in the, in the Middle Ages, um, the climate was actually slightly warmer. So by February, you could absolutely start, you know, plowing your land. The next thing would be in March, which once again, Similar to February, it could also show people pruning trees, pruning bushes and vines, and also 
digging because again, you are at a point where the frost is beginning to thaw on the ground. So you're able to dig any like, if you need to dig trenches, if you need to dig holes to plant things, like you can kind of start doing that. And of course, this is also the ideal time for pruning trees because at this point there's still not really leaves on the trees that would get in your way and make it difficult to like see what's going on and to get at the branches. But it's started to warm up a little bit. So you might start seeing a little bit of buds on the trees and you can kind of see, okay, well, this branch isn't producing buds. We can like, we can cut that or, you know, you can see where, um, where there's new growth, which you should avoid trimming versus the older dead parts of the tree that need to be removed. By April, a lot of these calendars show people planting. So by that point, your digging has been done, your plowing has been done, your, you know, your soil has been turned up, prepared, and now it is time to go out and plant everything that you want to plant for the year. Now, for the most part, you're going to do at least some of your fields are going to be wheat and then other types of grains, such as barley and oats. Um, you would also be planting legumes, so different forms of beans and peas and that sort of thing. And of course, as we've discussed before, one of the fields would lie fallow so that it would have a chance to sort of regenerate through the year. For May, typically there isn't a lot of actual work shown being done, um, just because at that point there isn't like a whole lot to do. You're sort of waiting for the crops to start growing, but that does not mean that there was actually no work to be done. Um, the calendars typically portray men going hawking. So you have your hawk and you use that to go hunting for small animals. Um, there's also a lot of images of people, you know, celebrating May Day and celebrating spring and picking flowers and that sort of thing. Um, the other thing that would typically be done in these kind of warmer months is you might, you know, have that chance to, you know, make some minor repairs. You might also um, try to scare crows and animals off of the land, which would mostly be children's work, but... You know, you could also, as a man, partly be, you know, making sure that the, the seeds are doing okay. However, by June, this is where you start seeing a lot more work being done. So you have haying, weeding, and sheep shearing. So haying is, you know, you have to mow the hay, um, basically cutting all the tall grasses and then laying it out in the sunshine so that it can dry up because that is what you're going to feed your animals through the winter so that you have something for them to, you know, sustain themselves on when they can no longer graze because right at this point it's, it's, um, you know, they're not factory farming. Like you're driving your sheep or your cows out into the fields, they're grazing. And then through the winter you feed them, dried grass like hay. You also need to start weeding in earnest because at this point your 
seeds that you planted in April are properly sprouted up, they're growing, and you don't want weeds to choke out all of your beautiful food that is trying to grow in the sunlight. And of course, sheep shearing, because at this point in June, they are typically... Um, the, the sheep are starting to get a little bit too hot. They have grown all of their wool, and if you don't shear them, they are going to start getting very, very uncomfortable. So this would be a lot of driving sheep into, you know, wherever they need to be sheared, like in a pen of some kind to try to sort of keep them steady. This would probably be like a... Uh, again, this was mostly men who were doing this because it's a lot of handling animals. You would often, um, you know, be doing this outside in the fields where the sheep would normally be grazing and sort of trying to keep them calm and, you know, cutting off the wool, which would then, uh, it was the women's job to then process the raw wool into actual clothing, which I'll talk about shortly. July was the wheat harvest, typically. Um, so that is when you would go out with your scythe and start, you know, cutting down all the wheat and making sure that all the wheat has been cut and ready. August is threshing the wheat, which essentially is the part of a grain harvest where you are separating the actual wheat like kernels, like seeds from the rest of the stalk, right? So wheat grows as a, it's, it's basically a type of grass and you need to like hit or otherwise use the, um, take, take the plant and remove the seeds from the plant because that's what's going to be edible. And then the remains are what is going to make like straw, which can then be used later for other things such as bedding for animals. By September, this is when it's likely going to be all hands on deck with the harvesting. So if you are in a grape producing region, that's going to look like a lot of grape harvesting. If you are, you know, further north, this is just more generally, you're going to be harvesting whatever types of, you know, fruits and vegetables you might have grown that year because you want to make sure that you've got everything in before Again, things just start sort of rotting on the vine. In October, you have plowing or sowing once again, because you can plow the fields and then plant things that have to sit through the winter in the cold soil. So you want to, you know, plow and sow the sort of winter crops as we think of them. And if you were in wine country, you would take the grapes that you'd been harvesting all through September and put them in the wine barrels for aging. So, you know, through September, you would have done the grape harvest and, you know, done the done the thing where all the grapes go into the big tub and everyone stomps on them and they strain it out and you have your grape juice and you make your kind of initial ferment. And then October, you would be spending a lot of time transferring that ferment into barrels where it could actually properly age so that, you know, you have a nice steady supply of wine, which is very important, obviously. November was often focused on gathering acorns for pigs or otherwise driving pigs into the forest where they could rummage around for their own food. 
So this was again, typically a male activity. The name for this would have been a pig man. And I, I just like that name. And that would be your responsibility to both gather food for the pigs and also drive them into the forest, take care of them, make sure that they were, you know, safe while they were rummaging around and rustling up all their food in the under, un underbrush basically of the woods where they can kind of dig for acorns and that sort of thing. And finally, December was often um, portrayed as a time where you would be doing a lot of butchering. So particularly butchering a lot of pigs, because if you are a peasant family, you don't want to have to feed all of your pigs through the winter because obviously they need a lot of food and you want to make sure that you have your um, food for yourself and for your working animals, such as your oxen or later your horses. Whereas pigs only produce meat, really. So basically what you would do now that you had fattened up the pigs, you would, you know, slaughter them, break down the carcass, and then do assorted, uh, basically assorted food storage techniques. So smoking, drying, pickling, etc. Some of that would be done, done more so by men, such as you know, a lot of the time smoke houses, or if you're going to pack them in, in salt barrels, that might be more so the men's job in some cases, whereas um, something like preparing sausages would be more so women's work. But the idea basically was that you were going to slaughter the pigs so that you would have that meat to eat through the winter. And of course, you know, you would keep a few pigs alive through the winter so that they could continue to reproduce so that you would again have more pigs who could be fattened up the next year and then the cycle continues. There would also of course be men in the countryside who performed specialized labor. So these would be people like the village blacksmith who would be responsible for both making and in some cases repairing any kind of metal tools or any kind of metal objects you would need. In some cases, the blacksmith would do repairs. In other instances, that would be, you know, the tinkerer who would do the repairs. But the blacksmith would have been very important, especially once people start shoeing their horses, because that actually helps protect the horse's hooves. Um, and obviously, you are going to be going through a decent amount of those. Once they start using more and more metal tools as well, that becomes more and more important as people start shifting from using, you know, wooden tools on the farm towards using more metal. And of course, things like, um, you know, hardware for construction. So things like nails would be, you know, the blacksmith might be engaged in that as well. The miller, of course, was the man who was running the mill because in most cases you were not allowed to grind your own wheat. Um, what you would have to do is take the wheat to the miller and then pay a fee, which would go somewhat part of it to the miller and part of that would go to the landlord. It was basically the right of the Lord to collect the, um, payments for you to have your grain ground into flour. Now, that's not to say that, uh, everyone always abided by these rules a hundred percent and there definitely were smaller hand mills, but if you wanted 
you know, flour in any bigger quantities and also, you know, to not be breaking the law, you would basically have to take your grain to the mill at some point. Now, depending on where you lived, this might be a windmill or it might be a water mill, but regardless, you would have to go through the miller whose job it was to operate the mill and know how to keep that piece of machinery, whether water or wind mill, operational. Um, you would typically also have a baker in the village because while everyone would have had their own, you know, general hearth at home, uh, you would not have your own bread oven because that's, again, kind of a specialized piece of equipment. It's made out of stone or out of bricks. And, you know, it's also the fact that if everyone is baking their own bread and everyone has this bread oven, it does increase the risk that there could be more fires going on because you don't have this kind of centralized, super hot, super um, well-tended uh, fireplace. So typically it would be the same thing where, you know, sort of like how you have to take your grain to the miller, you would also then make up your bread dough and then take it to the baker who would then bake it for you. Um, this is different than um, in towns where a lot of the time you could just buy pre-baked bread from the baker. That's not to say that you couldn't do that in villages, but, you know, there's different... Um, in, in the countryside, you are probably making your own dough and taking it to the bakery versus buying pre-made bread from the bakery. And those are the types of jobs and employment that men in the countryside would do where they were working within the home, within that community, or, you know, within the, the field that was, within the fields that surrounded the home. Now, women's role in the countryside sometimes took them out of the home. Um, it was typically seen as women's work to glean, which is kind of like picking up the sort of forgotten, left behind little bits of hay and not, not hay, wheat, but um, doing things like that. They might also engage with clearing weeds or they might bind the sheaves of wheat so that they would be in a nice kind of bundles. They would also help with making hay and could also collect firewood. But for the most part, women would have worked directly in their homes, in the little plots of land that were adjacent to their homes, or within the broader village. Now, the reasoning behind this is twofold. First, as we've discussed, for married women in the pre-modern period, they would have spent most of their re reproductive years either pregnant, nursing, and slash or caring for young children. So as such, you would want to be close to home most of the time. A, so that you can care for smaller children easily because you don't want them, you know, running off into the woods or <laughs> running off into a field. And, you know, that's where a lot of these... Um, like children's stories and fairy tales come from, right? Like things like Little Red Riding Hood, where the whole thing is telling the children, you know, don't wander off into the woods, don't wander off from where you're supposed to be going because it's dangerous for children to just wander off into the woodlands. So you kind of want to keep kids at home, in the village, somewhere where it's going to be a little bit more supervised and where it's hopefully going to be a little bit less less dangerous for them. 
The other thing is you want to be close to home while you are, say, pregnant rather than out in a field because A, as we've talked about before on this podcast, there was the belief at the time that doing physically demanding work, um, especially heavy lifting or um, like walking and being out and about for too long could be dangerous to the pregnancy and could result in miscarriage or could result in bad health outcomes for the pregnant person. And it's also just from a practicality standpoint that if you, say, go into labor or you miscarry or anything else happens, it's a lot easier to be close to home where, you know, you're going to have the other women in the village, you're going to have, like, the comfort of home, you can have the the hot water made up and you can have a bed and towels and linens and stuff rather than, like, attempting to give birth in the middle of the woods on your own while you're driving the pigs out there, right? And it's also, there is the second reason, um, as Barbara Hanawalt argues, is that women were at greater risk for being attacked or assaulted if they were out on their own than if they were in the home and in the village where there are other people around, right? So, I mean... You know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. There does seem to have been a concern for women being out in fields or in the woodlands by themselves. And, you know, it's it's basically just that same old idea of, you know, don't go places by yourself. Bring a buddy because we don't want you to be harmed or assaulted or have other bad things happen to you because, you know... You are a woman, and if you're by yourself, sometimes there are men who will take advantage of that situation. So, getting on to the actual topic at hand is what exactly type of work were women doing within the home? So, number one thing would probably be food preparation and preservation. So, again, as we've talked about before, Preparing food in the pre-modern era is a lot more tedious and time-consuming and labor-intense than it is today, right? It's not like you can go and get your, like, microwave mac and cheese. Everything has to be made more or less from scratch. So everything from... As, as I was saying earlier, from mixing up the dough for your bread, if you're making pottages, if you want sausage, you need to take the pig intestines and then stuff the intestines with the ground up meat and fat and whatever herbs you have that are going to increase the flavor of it and, you know, some salt and then pack that. You would also possibly be doing things like drying meat, smoking meats. You would be doing things such as tending to the domestic animals. So things like collecting eggs from the chickens. And that means also, of course, feeding chickens, tending to chickens, seeing if they are, you know, oh, okay, well, that chicken isn't really laying eggs anymore. So what does that mean? Okay, that means it's time to slaughter that chicken, which then means okay, I have to slaughter this chicken. Now I have to de-feather the chicken, take the chicken 
apart. Use the chicken in whatever type of food I'm going to make with it. Um, this would also, of course, encompass things like dairy preparation. So if you had a cow or a goat who was giving milk, you need to find a way to preserve that because there's no refrigeration, there's no freezer really, like you need to do something to keep that dairy from going bad and so that you can use it for long-term purposes, which means things like churning it into butter or knowing how to make cheese. And then once you have actually made that cheese by mixing the, um, the milk with rennet, or with an acid, if you're making a softer cheese, straining it through the cheesecloth, mixing in the different salt and any other flavorants you want. And if you wanted it for long-term storage, you would be um, encasing that cheese in melted wax, right? So like think about a, like, like a Gouda where it has the, the red wax outside of it. Um, you could also be doing things like pickling and salting and drying different foods, whether that's meats, you or maybe you're gonna pickle some eggs, maybe you're going to dry different, um, different herbs so that you can add flavor to your food, right? Um, through the winter when you don't have the, the necessary um, plants growing. You would also be doing this right drying the herbs and drying different flowers and plants because it would be your job to tend to your family medicinally so in an age where most of the you know recipes and remedies that are available to you are all based on plants and on different herbs you know you want to make sure that you're out there foraging again not super far from home you don't want to be going alone. You're not going to go super far, but you know, in the adjacent fields, you might go out and pick some wild garlic or wild um, wild mustard. You might collect mushrooms, that sort of thing. You would also be tending to the garden, which is you'd have a little vegetable patch that would be in the kind of little bit of land around your own home. So again, there you would be growing herbs for both flavoring and medicinal purposes. And you would also be growing different um, vegetables that your family would eat through the year. Typically, a lot of cabbage, a lot of root vegetables, things that are going to last you through the winter because you want to make sure that through the winter you don't just have, you know, grain and maybe some of that pig that you slaughtered in December to eat. Um, so you want to make sure that you're growing a good amount of hardy winter vegetables but they also would have been growing a lot of kind of seasonal uh, thing, things that you have to eat kind of right away. So there'd be a lot of leafy greens and that kind of thing to be eating in salads for the summertime. You would also be doing a lot of just work around keeping basic necessities running in the home. So. This would include things like starting fires, which would mean collecting firewood and, you know, keeping that fire going. So that might be your job is you go out and you collect firewood and kindling and 
you know, you have to be able to start the fire in the morning and then keep it going all day and tend to it. And when you're cooking, you need to know how hot to keep that flame or if you should keep feeding the fire or if you should be cooking something on a lower, you know, on, on a lower kind of smoldering embers kind of deal. And you would also, of course, need to get water because again, there's no running water for you to get. Um, so typically you are going to be getting water from one of two sources. You either are getting it from a well or you are going to be getting it from a source of running water. So a stream or a river. Uh, most people would not have wanted to say get water from a pond um, because stagnant water um, was seen as not as clean, not as fresh as say well water or a river water, which I mean, they are correct because when you have running water, you have, um, you know, any fecal matter, any bacteria, anything like that. Like it's being moved along rather than say, if you've ever <laughs> looked at a pond where it's stagnant, yeah, you get a lot more algae, you get a lot more gunk in that water. Um, and then of course, well water is from underground. So it's been filtered through the different rocks and minerals. So it's much safer. But again, you need to get water both for cooking and daily hygiene needs, because as we've talked about before, it, it is a myth that like no one in the Middle Ages ever cleaned themselves ever. Um, it was rare to bathe, um, as in like fully submerging your body in water. And I, I should say relatively rare because, you know, people could bathe in a pond or a river, but you would really probably want to do that in the warmer months. And, you know, you could bathe at a bathhouse if you had one nearby, but again, that would cost money. And they, they did have some questionable moral implications <laughs> sometimes, but you still needed to collect water because chances are like people tended not to bathe every day because obviously dragging that much water into your home on a daily basis for everyone in the family it would just be unfeasible, but you still needed water for things like washing your face, your hands, your feet, um, you know, between your legs, under your arms, like you would kind of have a, a little sponge bath to freshen up. But even more importantly was, um, well, maybe not more importantly, but more uh, labor intensive was water for laundry. Now, sometimes you could wash your clothes in the river, especially if it was, you know, if you had a decent river nearby and it was reasonably nice out, you could do that. But other times you would want to actually um, like heat the water up so that you could, you know, boil basically uh, clothes that had maybe been, been a little bit more dirty, needed a little bit more love. <laughs> Um, so you would have to drag in a whole bunch of water for that, heat it up, make the soap. So combine, you know, a, a fat with a base, mix that together. So now you have this very harsh soap that you're using with the hot water to wash the clothes. You would also be responsible for things like spinning wool into in, into thread, either on a spindle, like just a, a hand, a hand spindle or on a spinning wheel later on, and then weaving that or later on, there was also some knitting, but for the most part weaving. 
again, um, if you were wealthier, you'd be buying this, but otherwise you were using homespun. So it's, you know, you've made the fabric at home and then you would be sewing that into garments. And then also, of course, mending any garments that your family had or altering garments, altering um, those different pieces of clothing, which again is why people did not have like, by and large, an enormous wardrobe because it just took such a huge amount of effort to, you know, take this raw wool from like straight off the sheep, wash it, card it, spin it, weave it, and then sew it into a garment. Um, finally, the kind of, the, the other things that women would of course be doing was, I mentioned this before, but once more, they are tending to the children. They are especially younger children, children who aren't old enough to really work yet, like do chores on the farm and that kind of thing. So they are for the most part, you know, as we've talked about before, if you have a baby, you are rocking the cradle, you're soothing the baby, nursing the baby. You might even be nursing baby's older siblings if, you know, if the milk supply that you have is great enough. And you are also going to be sort of educating the children, trying to teach them, you know, things like basic safety around the home, like don't touch fire, don't run out into the street, don't, you know, do, do things that are going to get you killed, <laughs> which, you know, again, the more things change, the more things stay the same. You still have, you know, kids wanting to touch stoves and do dangerous things. <laughs> Last but not least, again, we've mentioned this before, but women might also um, produce a little bit extra. Like if they were able to produce a little bit extra of certain items, then they would be able to go to the nearest market and sell that. And then that would give the family cash in hand, which is quite different than what men were doing. Because again, men would typically be tending the fields and the kind of larger domestic animals. So they're driving pigs into the woods. They're driving cows out to graze, doing that kind of thing. Whereas women would collect eggs and maybe the chickens have been laying really well and you don't need all those eggs. So she would go to the market and sell that. Maybe she is brewing beer and she's able to brew a little bit more then the family is going to drink. So again, she can go to the market and sell that. Whereas, you know, men in the family typically are not, they are not um, like working for cash. They are getting paid out, not not always, um, but, but for the most part, the they are going to get a certain amount of wheat as their payment. They're going to get a certain amount of grain in payment. Um, if they are working as paid laborers, they might be paid in cash, but you know, for, for the most part, in a lot of cases, it was the woman or women of the house who would be, you know, selling the little bit of extra that they had, selling, you know, maybe some extra cheese, some extra eggs, some extra beer, so that the family had a little bit of cash that they could use to buy 
things that, that could not be produced on the farm itself. Or paying for services such as, you know, getting get, getting the, the blacksmith or the tinkerer to repair something for you. Um, last but not least, we've also talked about people going out into service in homes, and that is another example of people who are kind of, you know, quote-unquote working from home in the countryside where you're living and working in the same place. These would be typically younger people who were saving up money to be able to start their own household at some point, but they would also be, you know, young men would be um, working with the men in the household to do things like working in the fields and working with the larger animals, and the female servants would be doing things with the woman of the house to, you know, learn how to sew and manage the food supply and manage a whole household like that. And that is essentially what the division of labor would have looked like in the countryside and what a lot of, you know, quote unquote, working from home would have looked like. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and we will see you next week. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Babiaga Project. And as always, thank you to all our patrons for making this project possible. Please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and her website for the most up-to-date happenings in the project. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon. It'll really help us continue the project and expand in some really exciting ways. And there's Patreon-exclusive merch! Thanks again, and we'll see you next week!